Hello, and welcome to Title Volume, a podcast that explores the core concepts of pediatric pulmonology. My name is Ryan Thomas, and I am the Division Chief of the Division of Pediatric Pulmonary Allergy and Clinical Immunology and the Director of the CF Center at the Michigan State University College of Human Medicine. This is our first podcast we've brought to you for a while. Due to a combination of technical difficulties and scheduling issues, it's been a while since we've been able to get a podcast out. Because of some of the before-mentioned complications, I'll be going alone today, bringing you a podcast on surfactant proteins and alveolar cells. You know, this is a pretty technical podcast, and um, honestly, on the dry side, perhaps a little boring. But I do think for those of us that treat pulmonary conditions, having a good base of the physiology of the alveolar space is really important. It can help give us some insight into how we manage various pathologies and is also really important as we prepare for our pulmonary board exams. So without any further ado, please enjoy the podcast. So we can't really talk about alveolar cells without talking about the alveoli themselves. There are 270 to 790 million alveoli in the human body, and this correlates with height and lung volume. There are 85 square meters of surface area within the lungs for four liters of volume on average. This, for us Americans, is 900 square feet, or about the size of the floor of a four-car garage. There are pores of cone that connect adjacent alveoli. You can learn more about this on our Collateral Ventilation podcast. Endothelial cells and alveolar macrophages are part of the alveolar unit, but we aren't going to discuss those today. The first cell type we'll talk about is type 1 epithelial cells or type 1 alveolar cells. These cells are approximately 0.1 micrometers thick for a majority of the cell with the exception of at the nuclei. This provides a large surface area for gas exchange. These cells make up only 8% of the epithelial cells within the alveolus, but account for 90 to 95% of lung surface area. Each epithelial cell can cover several capillaries, so there's this mesh of interconnectivity within the alveolar unit. They're joined into a continuous sheet by tight junctions with a gap of only about one nanometer, which prevents the escape of large molecules from the circulation into the alveoli. Junctions permit the free passage of macrophages and neutrophils into the alveolus, allowing for cleaning of debris or fighting off infections. These cells do not divide in vivo, and interestingly are not resistant to oxygen toxicity which really doesn't seem like a very good design. Type 1 alveolar cells express calveolins, which support their role in alveolar homeostasis. These calveolins form caveolae, which inactivate and sequester proteins into subcompartments of the cell membrane. Disruption of this can lead to pulmonary fibrosis. So these cells do have more to add than just Type 1 alveolar cells are also thought to be involved in the pro-inflammatory response. This large surface area is in contact with alveolar macrophages, 
In type 1 alveolar cells express toll-like receptors and produce pro-inflammatory cytokines in response to LPS stimulation or during pneumococcal pneumonia. The immune function of the alveolar cells is orchestrated through crosstalk with the resident macrophages. So I guess we did spend a little more time talking about macrophages than I thought. Type 2 epithelial cells, or type 2 alveolar cells, are cuboidal cells that attach via tight junctions to the type 1 cells. Their distinguishing feature is lamellar bodies, which contain surfactant. They also function as the stem cells from which the type 1 alveolar cells arise, though the mechanism of this is not well understood. They are also involved in pulmonary defense mechanisms. They secrete cytokines and contribute to pulmonary inflammation. Unlike their type 1 counterparts, they are actually resistant to oxygen toxicity. They are involved in transepithelial transport and help keep alveolar space relatively free of fluid through their apical sodium channels and baselateral sodium K1 ATP aces. So like their type 1 counterparts, they really do do more than just make surfactant. Type 2 alveolar cells are involved in innate immunity as well. They secrete a variety of anti-inflammatory and antimicrobial substances into the alveolar fluid. They're responsible for producing surfactant protein A and D, which have roles in immunity we'll discuss later. They produce antimicrobial and anti-inflammatory proteins, such as lysozyme, beta-defensin-2, lipocalin-2, and other antioxidants. They transport immunoglobulin to the alveolar fluid and have a high level of expression for the polymeric immunoglobulin transporter. They can produce components of the complement system and express major histocompatibility class II antigens. Though little is known about their ability to present antigen and initiate inflammatory responses. Alveolar cells express toll-like receptors, especially TLR2 and TLR4. Bacteria and viruses combine to these toll-like receptors and it activates the NF-kappa-B or other transcription factors leading to cell response. Alveolar cells can produce cytokines and other growth factors that affect immune cells. Cytokines produced include IL-1-beta, IL-1-alpha, TNF, and IL-6, and a variety of chemokines as well. Alveolar cells can upregulate expression of adhesion molecules, supporting interactions between epithelial cell and inflammatory cells recruited to the lung. Type 2 alveolar cells also have proliferative and stem cell properties. In response to type 1 cell injury, hyperplastic type 2 cells cover the basement membrane. They can then differentiate into type 1 alveolar cells, maintain the type 2 phenotype, or if they're unneeded, die. While we know where the renewal of the type 1 cells come from, we actually don't really understand where type 2 cell population is renewed. There have been reports of type 2 cells arising from other cells, such as bronchoalveolar stem cells, but this is far from being completely understood. And now, finally, we get to surfactant production. Type 2 alveolar cells produce, secrete, and recycle surfactant. Surfactant forms a lipid monolayer at the air-liquid interface and reduces surface tension within the alveoli. This works to decrease work of breathing by as much as 80%. This is based on the law of Laplace. The law of Laplace states that the pressure in the alveolus is directly proportional to the surface tension and inverse 
to the radius of the alveoli. Thus, the pressure in smaller alveoli would be greater than in larger alveoli if surface tension were the same in both. What surfactant does is lowers the surface tension in the smaller alveoli, allowing them to fill more easily and allowing for more homogeneous air entry and pressure. This prevents atelectasis, alveolar flooding, and hypoxemia. We'll talk more about this when we get to the clinical implications of surfactant later on in this podcast. Surfactant is made of about 85% phospholipids, 10% proteins, and 5% neutral lipids. Four proteins, surfactant A through D, are also present. After production, surfactant is excreted in lamellar bodies. These are membrane-bound inclusions made of layers of cell membrane-like material that contain the surfactant phospholipids, surfactant proteins B and C, and various other proteins. The lamellar bodies are secreted by calcium-dependent membrane fusion and extrusion. Type 2 alveolar cells don't develop until about 24 weeks of gestation, and adequate surfactant is not produced until the last trimester. At birth, a massive secretion of surfactant occurs with the first breath. Afterwards, it is secreted at lower levels more consistently. Remarkably, 10 to 20% of the surfactant pool is secreted each hour. The primary physiologic stimulus is thought to be stretching of type 2 alveolar cells from breathing. And the rate of surfactant secretion appears to be coupled with the rate of its uptake. Lipid movement across the membrane is facilitated by ATP binding cassette transporters, particularly the ABCA subfamily. After secretion, the alveolar forms of surfactant include the lamellar bodies, which will transform into tubular myelin and eventually are integrated into the surfactant sheet. So now we're gonna move on to talk a little more about surfactant proteins. Surfactant protein B is localized inside lamellar bodies and co-secreted with the contents of the lamellar body. It is critical for surfactant function as it is required to form stable surface active films at the air-liquid interface and required for the formation of tubular myelin. It seems to play an active role in lamellar body biogenesis and promotes the development of the characteristic lamellar membranes of the lamellar bodies. A genetic lack of surfactant protein B causes the loss of normal lamellar bodies. Surfactant protein B also seems to be required for the proper processing of surfactant protein C. Surfactant protein C, like its counterpart protein B, is also co-secreted with the contents of lamellar bodies. It is a type 2 transmembrane protein expressed exclusively by type 2 alveolar cells. It facilitates lipid movement between the sheets of membrane and vesicles, functions along with surfactant protein B to promote surfactant film formation. It may also play a role in surfactant recycling. Persistent inflammation and progressive alteration of alveoli have been observed in humans lacking surfactant protein C. Surfactant protein A is the most abundant surfactant protein, and its major function is in innate immunity. Surfactant protein A activates alveolar macrophages, stimulates the production of TNF-alpha, IL-1-beta, and IL-6, and participates in the resolution of inflammation by enhancing apoptotic neutrophil phagocytosis and inhibiting interfering gamma 
and NF-kappa B. Mice deficient in surfactant protein A have been shown to be more susceptible to infection. It is also involved in the formation of tubular myelin, acting as an intermediate between secreted lamellar body contents and the lipid monolayer. Surfactant protein A also promotes the reuptake of phospholipids. Type 2 alveolar cells expose a high affinity surfactant protein A receptor on their surface. Is surfactant protein D? It is a member of the collectin family of innate defense proteins and an important component of immunity. It binds viruses, bacteria, fungi, mycobacteria, mycoplasma, and pneumocystis, stimulating the release of reactive oxygen species from macrophages. It can affect the structure of phospholipid aggregates and may play a role in surfactant as well. It's required for surfactant reuptake and the regulation of pulmonary surfactant pool sizes. It results in accumulation of phospholipids in tissues and in surfactant and an increased number of activated macrophages, which has led to inflammation and emphysema. So now that we've talked about the nuts and bolts of alveolar cells and surfactant, Let's talk about the clinical pathologies involving them. The first and most obvious one is newborn respiratory distress syndrome. Newborn respiratory distress syndrome is a primary surfactant deficiency related to prematurity. Clinically, it presents increased work of breathing, decreased lung compliance, hypoxemia, and diffuse bilateral parenchymal infiltrates. Prophylactic treatment with exogenous surfactant often lessens or prevents respiratory distress syndrome. Its analog outside of the newborn period is acute respiratory distress syndrome, or ARDS. The clinical presentation of ARDS is very similar to the RDS we see in infants. Hypoxemia, decreased lung compliance, and bilateral infiltrates on chest X-ray. Increased alveolar permeability leads to proteins entering the airspace and altering surfactant structure. It alters the ratios of various phospholipids, decreases levels of surfactant protein A and B, and other mechanisms involving altered surfactant include cleavage of surfactant proteins by proteases that have leaked into the airspace, direct oxidation of surfactant, and thrombogenic components leaking into the airspace and incorporating surfactant into fibrin clots. Treatment with exogenous surfactant in adults with ARDS does not seem to improve mortality and treatment remains primarily supportive. Our adult intensivist colleagues have several really excellent podcasts about this. Surfactant protein B deficiency is an autosomal recessive disease that most commonly presents as a full-term or near-term neonate with severe respiratory distress and chest X-ray findings consistent with neonatal RDS. In surfactant B deficiency, the surfactant components are abnormal, with an abnormal phospholipid content, a decreased phospholipid to protein ratio, and therefore the surfactant is unable to effectively lower the surface tension within the alveolus. From a histologic standpoint, we see accumulation of lipoproteinaceous material, foamy macrophages, and desquamated type 2 alveolar epithelium in the alveolus, as well as abnormal lamellar body formation. When we look at the surfactant components, we see reduced or absent surfactant protein B with accumulation of surfactant protein A and C in the alveolus. 
disease presents with less than 25% surfactant protein B expression. The diagnosis is made via genetic testing. And unfortunately, the treatment is generally considered to be lung transplantation, though mild improvement may occur with exogenous surfactant and or steroids. Next up, we have surfactant protein C deficiency. Surfactant protein C deficiency is autosomal dominant with variable penetrance. The abnormal surfactant protein gene leads to misfolded or mistargeted proteins, which are retained in the endoplasmic reticulum and induces cellular injury in the type 2 pneumocytes. The symptom onset is variable with 10 to 15% presenting within the first month of life and 40% presenting between one to six months of age. Symptom severity is variable. It can be fatal in the newborn period or completely asymptomatic. Viral infection may precipitate the onset of symptoms. From a histologic standpoint, we see diffuse alveolar damage of varying severity, foamy alveolar macrophages, and variable amounts of alveolar prognosis. Robust staining of all surfactant proteins will show accumulation of surfactant protein C in the perinuclear area of the cell. Treatment includes steroids or hydroxychloroquine, though this is not well studied, and lung transplant can be used in severe cases. Finally, we have ABCA3 deficiency. It is autosomal recessive and is unfortunately thought to have a near 100% mortality rate without lung transplant. It leads to abnormal surfactant content and an inability to take phospholipids into the lamellar body. On immunostaining, all surfactant proteins are detected, but the precursor of surfactant protein C is in cytoplasm, not the air spaces, which differentiates this from surfactant protein B deficiency. The only known treatment is lung transplant. Thank you for listening to this episode of Tidal Volume by Breathe Easy Pediatrics. We welcome your feedback, so feel free to reach out either on Twitter to my account at MSUPedsPalm or to the ATSPeds account directly. For those of you not on social media, or at least Twitter, you can also reach out to us via TidalVolumeATSPeds at gmail.com. I'd like to note we don't check this email all the time, so the reply may be a little slow, but I do try to check it semi-regularly. We'd especially welcome ideas on future topics, or even better if someone would like to come present on a topic. We are currently working with Pediatric Pulmonary Fellowship Directors to come up with future topics that are both high-yield, clinically, and on the board examination. I'd like to thank you again for joining us today, and I'm looking forward to our next episode.